The flight deck is made possible by the generous donors supporting the Museum of Flight. You can support this podcast and the Museum of Flight's other initiatives across the United States and the world by visiting museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley. How does studying a giraffe help make a better spacesuit? Dr. David Newman is the current director of the MIT Media Lab and served as a deputy administrator at NASA in the mid-2010s. She's been with MIT's School of Engineering since 1993, where she ponders questions like how giraffes keep from passing out while lifting their little heads up to munch on some trees, and uses these findings to lead a team of innovators in creating the MIT Biosuit, which is a pretty new approach to a long-standing challenge in aerospace, namely how to keep a human body pressurized at high altitudes or in space where pressure is absent. A biosuit is currently on display at the Museum of Flight in our temporary exhibit Stranger Than Fiction, The Incredible Science of Aerospace Medicine. Dr. Newman and I talked about giraffes and other inspirations from nature, about the biosuit itself, and about how imagination and creative thinking dwell at the core of science and engineering. Just to start off, the the biosuit, for those who might not be familiar with it, can you just give a, a brief summary of what it is? The biosuit is an advanced spacesuit concept. Uh, let me start with conventional spacesuits, or EVA, extravehicular activity. When we send astronauts into space, into the vacuum of space, or when we get to the moon and Mars, we have to protect them, and we have to keep them alive. So we need a pressure shell around them and we need to provide life support so conventionally we do that when you see the astronauts in their spacesuits with that's a gas pressurized shell so i call it the world's smallest spacecraft that's the best way to think about it the world's smallest spacecraft because you have to design and build all the same systems you do in your spacecraft now you shrink it around the body so it's really a marvel a marvel of engineering to get that spacesuit wrapped around the person but if you've seen the conventional spacesuits, they're gas pressures, they're very heavy, they're very massive, and they're not very mobile. So let's flip the paradigm. We have the same goals, keep the astronaut alive. But for the biosuit, it's a pressure providing layer, if you will. So rather than putting you in a balloon, can I put the pressure directly on your skin to keep you alive? We have to put a third of an atmosphere of pressure that keeps someone alive in a vacuum. So rather than being in a balloon, I said, wait a minute, with materials and different patterning, is it possible to literally design a second skin suit to pressurize you? Put that through the material properties and design, we're going to pressurize your skin. And if we can do that, this second skin concept, you can be very mobile. First, it's an order of magnitude less in terms of mass. So a lightweight mobile suit is what you should think about for the bio suit. So that's... um called mechanical counterpressure. And again, we're pressurizing on the skin rather than putting you in a balloon is the is the concept. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so visually striking. Um, we have one on display in, in our temporary exhibit, Stranger Than Fiction, uh, but whether people see it in, in the exhibit or in photos, it just looks so futuristic and cool. It's, it's just a neat design. 
Well, thank you. And that's uh, back to the future, right? It's it, That's really because of the team that we, I'm an aerospace engineer myself, but guess what? We have designers, uh, architects. So on our team, uh, aesthetics, designing for humans, we want it to be beautiful, aesthetic, also very useful. So it really is kind of the team, I think, of folks you you bring to the table. So we have a high priority on design, uh, mobility, as well as getting all the engineering systems right. So it's kind of the technology and design where they cross. And um, it's customized. That's very important. Everyone doesn't uh, get the same suit. It's, we have technology. I can, I can give you a scan, a 3D scan of your body in 30 seconds. So since we have the technology, let's use it. And so we use it to think about the custom customization. That's why, well, there's, you know, men and women and everyone. So, you know, that's why you look at it and say, well, this looks like very different. It doesn't look like the Michelin man. It looks like a form fitting suit. And that's exactly it. We want everyone to have a kind of custom form fitting capability because that's at the end of the day, we just want uh, explorers, astronauts. I say, when we get to the moon, really, when we get people to Mars, you're not going there to sit around in your habitat. You're going there to explore. So, to me, the idea is empowering them. Uh, fantastic. We just had the Olympics. It's like trying to make the astronauts and explorers like elite Olympic athletes. So they have to have the right gear. They have to have the right suit to gain all the mobility. You don't want to waste your energy fighting the suit, bending the arms against the gas pressure. What you want to do is put all of your energy into exploring and explicitly we're searching for life on Mars. So there's a lot of exploring to do, a lot of science to do. Yeah, astronauts talk about how exhausting to do a extravehicular activity or or what we would call a spacewalk, and it's largely fighting against the suit. That's right. That's exactly. Currently, where the majority of your energy is wasted because you are fighting the suit. So again, we kind of flip the design paradigm. So okay, how can I design a system where the majority of your energy goes into product, you know, um, useful work, and if we have the form-fitting suit then that's really important because we don't want to waste energy. We want to enable the mobility and it's a life support system. Very, very important, you know, on the backpack, the backpack of the suit has to provide all of your oxygen, has to scrub out your carbon dioxide, has to um, have thermal control. The, the layers can do that as well. You know, the suit can, the thermal control, but you're, you have this big life support system. Uh, and again, we just kind of say, well, let's have a mobile, smaller system, compact, uh, we get a lot of inspiration from, say, diving, from Olympic athletes, from from extreme folks who camping. We kind of see and take all those good ideas and say, okay, this is how we should enable space exploration. You know, astronauts of the future when they when we're planetary explorers. So speaking of diving, uh, we're big fans of Wiley Post around here, and like those <laughs> early early designs. How how does this uh, build on? kind of this this history of trying to surmount this problem. I know, for example, you you based specifically and worked with Dr. Paul Webb. What what does the biosuit do? What did you overcome that Dr. Webb was not able to in his earlier work? Um, oh, thanks. He was he was way ahead of the curve. Way ahead. And 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 back to Wiley Post too. Those are the images that I grew up with and those that we all did. And uh, we want to now goodness sakes, you know, 50, 60 years later, we're, I think we're finally getting there, to Paul Webb. Uh, Dr. Webb came up with the very first mechanical counterpressure suit prototype. It was called the Space Activity System. And so he 
had the crazy idea. What if we put the pressure directly on the skin? He was a physiologist. And so he was thinking about that. How do we put the pressure on the skin? He didn't have the materials that we have today. So that's the big step for us. The big, the big game changer is now we can you know, design our own materials. So he was really had the concept. And uh, essentially, I want to also uh, give credit to Dr. Iberal, who is another inspiration for the biosuit. Dr. Iberal was thinking much more about the, think about the, the, the topography of skin these, these uh, lines of non-extension, if I can get the patterning right, if I can get the patterning right on a pressure garment, then I can give you uh, maximum mobility. So Dr. Paul Webb thinking the first person to really articulate, maybe we can pressurize the, directly on the skin. And Dr. Eberall saying, there's something that's key about the patterning. So essentially, I took both of those ideas. I thought they were great ideas just well before their time to say, let's think about pressurizing directly on the skin, the mechanical counterpressure. And then if I'm think about this and really smart. Maybe I can do the patterning in this three-dimensional mathematics and three-dimensional eigenvector analysis. <laughs> Say that twice. But it's really, you know, humans are very complicated shapes and we want to get mobility. So we really have to, again, design in three dimensions. And then that's how we can give someone kind of maximize their mobility if their suit, if their clothing is really custom fit to them. And the, I guess, uh, you know, $100 million question is, is it biologically relevant uh, from our patterning and the pressure? Is that have anything to do with the collagen of skin? Is that really how skin is perhaps made? I still don't know the question to that yet, but it's very intriguing from my engineering perspective coming up with the systems, you know, the suits of the future, but also the biological relevance of that. Because I, I don't know, I do uh, learn everything from nature, right? I feel like nature's already designed so many of these incredible systems that we have a lot to learn from that. And so as an aerospace engineer, I, I laugh and say, well, I'm, we sh we're sure learning a lot about skin, that's for sure. <laughs> Tell me a little more about that. I'm curious, you, you learn a lot from nature. What inspires you in that way? Oh, well, I love all living things and to watch them. And so maybe a great example is when I was writing an early proposal for the biosuit, or, you know, the NASA Advanced Institute concepts, they say, you can't give us an idea unless, uh, you know, unless it's 10 years out. Meaning that if, uh, you know, so we thought, I thought, okay, this is 10 years out, you know, sh shrink wrapping the astronauts to send them to Mars. That's definitely the technology we need to develop is more than 10 years. And so I thought about giraffes and well, uh, simply giraffes kind of come with their own G-suit. Now, what do I mean by that? Very interesting if you look at it, giraffes. A few people have studied this. So imagine a giraffe, five meters, a big you know, giraffe, four meters. I mean, this is a huge creature, right? And it has its head down and it's eating, you know, it's eating its greenery. It puts its head up to the top of the trees. Now, why doesn't it faint, right? We jump out of bed in the morning and jump out a few feet, a uh, <laughs> half a meter, and we almost faint, no right? Kidding. So it turns out, so how does a giraffe do that? Well, it has a small head, it has huge musculature and cardiovascular. So imagine that giraffe heart and its head's down, eating happily on the ground, and it wants to pick off the, the nice things on top of the trees. And it basically constricts its uh, musculature in its neck, and that's a very, very long neck, right? And it just, it's just puts that, that blood right to the head so that so the draft doesn't faint. Now it's a simple description of it, but that's fantastic. So there's the physiology aspect of it is how does the, you know, the draft system do that. And then if we take that back to things I care about, again, keeping astronauts alive or a pilot, a pilot going through high G's, we have G suits. And what we're trying to do then is maneuvers. And we want to get the, the blood 
to the pilot's head when they're flying, you know, in this sense of fighter, fighter aircraft to uh, do really amazing maneuvering. You want to make sure that that blood stays in the head of your pilot, right? An acrobatic pilot or a fighter pilot. And same thing. That's just one example. Say, well, if I'm going to design a, a, a suit or a system to help someone in, in this sense, you know, a pilot, then we better look at nature. Where in nature does, who in nature does this really well? And it comes when you think about a G-suit. Um, I think the giraffe has a pretty, pretty amazing <laughs> biological design and capability. That's really, that's really interesting. And, uh, <laughs> and it hits on something that I, I think is very important uh, of looking beyond our, our world of aerospace for things like like recently we we did some work with for our preschool programs called stem starters where they they actually walked around the outside of the museum and looked at plants and things like that and you know sometimes i hear critiques not of that program specifically but people say you know stick to the plane stick to the spaceship and and i think they just forget that these do not exist in a vacuum even beyond inspiration aircraft and spacecraft interact physically with the environment around them too. It, it's all very connected. Absolutely. And just because, um, you know, goodness sakes, the flight museum has all those beautiful aircraft. But the first thing when I see an aircraft, especially a sleek one, what do you think of? I think of a bird. I think of nature. I think of goodness sakes, you know, so essentially it is by saying, how does a bird fly and how many types of birds? So Every day, I have to say, I look at birds and various birds if I get the chance to glimpse into nature and think about their control and then think about, yeah, that's, you know, these uh, changing, let's call morphing aircraft wings of the future. That's surely where we're, where, we're, where we're going so that they can behave more like a lot of our biological systems because then we get performance advantages. So, I, yeah, I, I think that they're very linked and especially to, to kids and young folks out there. Just always amazed. Uh, kids are so beautiful. It's always like, why, 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 why this? You know, why is it built like this? Why does it crawl like this? What does it fly like this? And those are all the questions that we still, and you know, we have to keep that um, curiosity. And those are all the questions we still ask. I ask every day that to inspire my work. So looking at at the bio suit, uh, it looks so different than what we expect from a, a space suit. And and I, I, I wonder. Like what? What is the role of something like imagination in developing that? Because it's not an iteration of the current suit. It's it's really a completely different approach. And we've spent the last over fifty years kind of with one approach. What role does imagination have in engineering? We we stereotype engineers and scientists as very literal thinkers, but I imagine it, it does. I imagine it, it really takes a lot of kind of abstract thought and and creativity to come up with a solution like that. It, it does. And engineers were taught, we're very analytical and uh, usually look to get a solution and, and go through kind of a linear process. But I like to, um, again, I've got to have to go back to the team. If we're trying to develop a new capability, you know, a new spacesuit to try to look at it orthogonally. And the first question is, what could we do different? You know, why? Yeah. So questioning, does it always have to be a gas pressurized system? No, I don't think so. Now you have to obey physics. So I can't uh, have, have you know science fiction literally, but if, if it's technically feasible, and that's what we've learned in the biosphere, is it technically feasible? And then to your point, it really has to be a multidisciplinary team. So I need the designers. Of course, I need the mathematicians, engineers, but you know, some of the best folks I can put on my team are the artists, the, the folks who question and say, 
And then I need, you know, some medical people because we're thinking about suits for astronauts, but really the earth implications and uh, kind of the dual use. If we can think about what about suits to help people with mobility here on earth. So it really, I, I just necessarily bring together a team from very, very different disciplines to, especially at the early stage, the brainstorming when we're just, and we need, we need artists, literally the sketching, the designs. So say rather than the big gas pressurized suit, what else could it look like? Well, then you would go uh, to, well, how about a skin tight? What about one of the, the most beautiful images I had in the mind? My mind thinking early about the bio suit was different colors and taking someone literally in, and um, and putting them into a vat of liquid and coming out with a, a skin, you know, <laughs> in, inspired by, I think, Elastigirl, uh, you know, things like this. But that's, you have to start with that creativity, that curiosity, because then you'll get new concepts and new ideas. And when I like to do brainstorming, I think we need 10 new concepts for suits. What are 10 new concepts? And then as you go down and then do the math and ask, is it physically real? What could we actually design and build? Then, then you'll, you'll get to an iterative design. But initially, I think you just throw all kinds of crazy, wonderful ideas on the table because they make you think orthogonally. And they make you actually get out of your comfort zone and they make you, and I think in the end, they have the potential to actually, you know, can come up with a, a much, a much better, a much more elegant solution. So what excites you about this suit and, and its future possibilities? What's kind of the most exciting prospect for you right now? Well, we're putting in some um, new advanced materials. One, one thing with the spacesuit, the, one of the, some of the challenges are you have to, uh, we call it donning and doffing, putting it on, taking it off. So as we think about that, um, that's, that's not trivial. That actually takes a lot of time. You want a tight-fitting suit, then can I put it on and kind of shrink wrap it to get my desired pressure? I mentioned we're going to a third of an atmosphere. That's 30 kilopascals. So we're working on some really interesting materials, something called a shape memory polymer. We've used shape memory alloys. Kind of think of them as smart zippers, if you will. I put on the suit, it's tight, but now I can cinch it up. So that's a really exciting area for us right now, kind of incorporating um, some of these active materials into our, our current suits. Another thing that really want to pay attention to going forward is more about uh, more work on the life support system, the backpack. We've we've really specialized in the suit and the pressure producing suit, but now thinking about back to the my analogy to the whole spacecraft system, we're doing some thermal modeling, thermal control, looking at the extremes of the moon and Mars, and again, how do we keep people uh, alive and well and happy? And so more work on the life support systems is, is also on the, the drawing board right now. And um, what excites me is becoming interplanetary, getting people to Mars, finding life on Mars. <laughs> and uh, I always say it's a round trip. People are going to really want to come back home and, uh, and to visit their families. So, uh, but really enabling exploration and the, the future and hopefully some of our, because we're researchers. And so hopefully some of our designs and concepts will make it into the real the real fielded systems, the real flight systems, which we don't have now, but those real flight systems, I hope that we can push and say, uh, what about a hybrid suit? What's, what about something that's very uh, tight fitting that really helps with uh, mobility and is a very lightweight system? Then if we can do that, I would, I would uh, call that success. Why do all this? Why spend all this money and energy creating suits and, and going to Mars and going to the moon? It's a, it's a question that you'll, you'll hear a lot. I'm sure you it do. Is. I, I do. And uh, my answer is that, you know, the inspiration, the dream, it's uh, it's really uh, forces us all to come together. It's going to be global. 
So, you know, going beyond the horizon, literally the horizon, the space horizon. But I always come back to all of our exploring, our scientific exploration of the solar system, the exoplanets, our, our scientific exploration of Mars, finding the evidence of past life on Mars. Let's bring it back to Earth. I would say that all of our work actually in space, uh, we have to go full circle and think about, okay, I'm an engineer developing technologies. What are those technologies good for here for the benefit of humanity? And so I mentioned in terms of the suit designs, it's really about mobility, about compression. So there's many medical uh, pathologies and diseases that we also, we always do dual use. So not the bio suit, but I have a, a countermeasure suit, a skin suit. That one right now, we're really thinking about what are the uses of compression for some pathologies on earth. Um, lymphedoma is one right now, uh, mobility uh, diseases. I can't cure those diseases, but can we use our technologies for potential um, suits or capabilities, you know, kind of locomotion enhancing capabilities and compression here on earth? So it's a great question. We always have to be uh, kind of centered on on earth. I think inspiration and the dream is, uh, you know, thinking about the exploration and getting to Mars, but we're very grounded in terms of if we get it right and we have technological breakthroughs, then how does that really impact folks here on Earth? Well, Dr. Newman, thank you so much for your time and, and good luck to you and your team as you continue designing that world's smallest spacesuit. Absolutely. Absolutely. My last uh, shout out to anyone listening is you know, make sure to dream, dream, uh, dream, dream, dream. And we do turn. I love the exhibit at the Flight Museum because stranger than fiction, that's that's my job every day. I get to work on these amazing systems <laughs> and it is stranger than fiction. It's, it's our reality, but it just starts with opening it up to uh, dreaming and thinking anything is possible. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. Thank you especially to our donors, those who've been able to give financial support to the podcast. You make this show happen. If you'd like to become a donor, head to museumofflight.org podcast and click the yellow donate button. Another way to support the show is to just rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from or, or just sharing the show out on social media with people who you think might find it interesting. If you want to see the bio suit in person, it's on display at the Museum of Flight alongside some other really cool objects related to high altitudes and space exploration in our temporary exhibit, Stranger Than Fiction, The Incredible Science of Aerospace Medicine, which runs through February 6th. Information is in the show notes or at museumofflight.org podcast. If you're interested in pressure suits, check out our education program called Suited for Space, which is all about pressure and pressure suits. And we've actually recently created a version that can be done entirely from home. There's information about that in the show notes. You can contact the show at podcast.museumofflight.org. Until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks. <laughs> <laughs>